If you're willing to empower your teams, there is a level of vulnerability that's necessary to do that. Micromanager is someone who is typically insecure and who is not transparent. They want people to believe they have all of the answers, and so they're going to control every aspect of their business. A leader who empowers their team is someone who says, you know, I don't have all the answers. You'll probably do things different than I would do, but I trust you. And I trust you because I believe you're going to get to a better answer than I would get to on my own. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Today, I get to share with you a conversation that I have with my friend, Jeremy Stolnecker. Now, Jeremy is a former Marine. He's also a former pastor. Today, he operates as the CEO of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. This is a nonprofit that is dedicated to helping America's military warriors and their families who are suffering from the unseen wounds of combat, such as PTSD. This organization does such amazing and necessary work in such an excellent way. And they are truly making a difference that is strong in both depth and breadth. And I really wanted you to hear from Jeremy for the same reasons that I wanted to talk with Jeremy. He has real-world experience both in the marketplace and in combat, as you're going to hear here in just a second of what it looks like to take the leadership principles and values that we so often stand for and say we believe and put them into practice in the imperfect realities of everyday life. And also, because he has a pastoral background, he has an understanding of how the immovable truth of God's word coincides with the grace that we all need as fallible human beings. And it's just such an incredible perspective that really has blessed me in my time knowing Jeremy. And I know it's going to bless you and your leadership as well. And so it's in that context that I wanted to start this conversation by asking Jeremy to share a story from his military experience that really exemplified many of the principles that inform his leadership philosophy. Yeah, I uh, appreciate you starting there. My leadership journey really started probably when I was a kid, playing sports, doing the, the things that kids do, but began to cement in my mind when I was in the Marine Corps and so many of these experiences as leaders. I served as a, an infantry platoon commander. I was in Iraq in 2003. We were part of the initial invasion into Iraq. The push that happened on March 19th of 2003, that was our battalion, secured the southern objective in the country of Iraq. First KIA of the war was one of our uh, lieutenants, one of our officers. And then we pushed to Baghdad, April 10th of 2003. The battle for Baghdad was our infantry battalion as well, had just over 100 casualties. Uh, thankfully, most of those were wounded in action, not killed in action. A crazy, crazy event. And as you can imagine, and for those that have experienced that, and I know a lot of people have, perhaps a lot of your listeners have, statistically, we know that uh, a lot of high value business leaders come from a military background. So perhaps that's a lot of the folks that we're talking to. But leadership is one thing in theory and in practice. It's something entirely different when the consequences for not leading well means that people die. And it causes you to look at leadership and you know how you interact with other people in a very different way. And so to your question, there were a lot of experiences, but one that I've written and spoken on quite a bit, and I, I wrote a book called March or Die, and it was based on this story. It's a, it's a talk that I give quite often. It took place on uh, April 1st, April Fool's, 2003, um, April Fool's Day, and we were fooled. We got into something we did not expect. 
And in so many ways, the lessons I have extrapolated from that have framed how I feel about leadership, whether it's organizational leadership, personal leadership in my family. I've served in ministry, all of those, those things. And a lot of leadership for those who lead at a high capacity, it is continuing on when it would be easier and may even make more sense to quit. That is the moniker of march or die. So for me, march or die means when we are in a situation that's overwhelming and we can find that personally, again, we can find that in business throughout our lives. When we're in a situation that's overwhelming, we have to make a decision and we feel like there are a thousand decisions that we need to make. We're um, overwhelmed sometimes by the number of places that we could go, but really everything boils down to making one of two decisions. There are tactics, there are strategies, there are ways that we can apply these decisions, but it's one of two decisions. We can stay where we are and die. And hopefully that's not a, a physical death. Hopefully, and you know, I come from a, a veterans organization. We work with men and women who are struggling with post-traumatic stress. And in the veterans world, 22 plus veterans a day take their lives. Active duty community, it's more than four a day take their lives. So many people do look at life and the overwhelming stress of life and they physically give up. But when I talk about dying, I'm, I'm speaking more to the emotional, spiritual, certainly, and relational that place where you say, I can just kick it into neutral. I can continue to exist. I can breathe. I can go home and do my family stuff. I can maintain my job, but I'm not moving forward. There is no momentum because the cost of moving forward is just too high. To me, that's death. You can be breathing. You can look like you have it all together, but you're dead if you're not moving forward, particularly into the purpose for which you were created. The alternative to that is, is marching. <laughs> and the reason you know march makes sense to me is because you don't always know where you're going. You're not getting there very fast, but you're simply putting one foot in front of the other. The story that I wrap a lot of that up in, again, on April 1st of 2003, our infantry battalion, about 1,200 Marines, were told to go and secure a very small bridge over a very small canal on our way to Baghdad. It was the middle of the day. We were told that we could secure this bridge in the middle of the day because the best intel sources, which were entirely wrong. Uh, but the best intel sources said, hey, there's no, there are no enemy combatants there. Just get there, secure it, and other units will pass through. And so 1,200 Marines in the middle of the day started to make our way toward that bridge. I was the second vehicle back. And in the process of getting there, I was navigating for our battalion. You know, that's a larger story, but I was navigating for the battalion. As we came around the corner and started into the straightaway toward that bridge, 3.30 in the afternoon, something like that, Mortar rounds started to fall around our vehicles, and we began to experience engagement with what we found out later was company-sized element of soldiers that were facing our direction, trying to prevent us from getting over the bridge. Much larger story, but so many things happened there that I went back and looked at and said, what are the lessons that can be learned here? And one of the big lessons for not just business leaders, but everyone in life is that the biggest battles in your life happen when you least expect them. And I've used a phrase many times when talking about this. There are some people who are so overwhelmed by the unexpected that they become the lifelong victims of a one-time event. When we got to the bridge, we were experiencing a battle that we were told would not happen, that we did not expect, but that was a life and death situation. It was life-threatening. And it's weird, the thoughts that you have, the rounds were falling around us. I could taste the smoke. Thankfully, they were going into the dirt. The shrapnel was contained. But the thought I had was, they said this wasn't going to happen. It's not <laughs> supposed to be this way. And they were wrong. And we're dealing with this thing, but now we have to deal with it. It was an unexpected fight. We didn't plan for it. 
but here we were. And if we're not careful, we can be so overwhelmed by the COVID shutdowns of our business, by some financial reversal, by some interpersonal you know, issue in a relationship we didn't expect, by traumas of our past. The list can go on and on. We can become so overwhelmed by the one thing that happened that we are now the, the the lifelong victims of that event. This is the person who talks about the same thing all the time. It always goes back to this thing. It's the question, why aren't you advancing? Well, because of what happened back there, we're overwhelmed by something we could not control. And this is similar to saying we need to expect the unexpected, but in business and in life, we have to plan for that thing that we can't see on the horizon. How do you plan for that? You train, <laughs> you prepare. You control the controllables. I wrote a blog this week on the power of process. You can't control outcomes. You can't. There are too many variables, but you can control process. We hit that bridge and the soldiers that were there, the mortar rounds that were falling, and immediately my Marines that I was you know, responsible for reacted. And they reacted because 14 thousand miles away or whatever Camp Pendleton is from Iraq, we spent two years training for something that might look like this. You prepare, you train, you control what you can control, and we dealt with the enemy. And that takes me to you know this kind of second principle. You may not get to pick the fight, but you always get to decide how to fight. When we start to make excuses for why we're not fighting well, why we're not doing well, why we're not advancing, we have really given up momentum to the enemy, whatever the enemy is in your current situation. And you may not get to pick the fight. Maybe the person in your life that you thought would be there forever isn't. Maybe something happened in your business you didn't expect. Whatever the case, you you don't get to decide that all the time, but you always get to decide how you're going to fight. Am I going to fight honorably? Am I going to fight well? What am I going to do? And that decision needs to be made before you get into that. For sake of time, I'll continue on. But the next principle was, or is for me out of that story, that things change. Don't be surprised when they do. (laughs) We hit the bridge. We were supposed to stay there. We weren't supposed to move beyond that. But once we dealt with the enemy that was facing our direction, once we dealt with the mortar rounds that were falling on top of us, there was more enemy. They were on the other side of the bridge. Things had changed. The circumstances had changed. Another phrase I like to use around change is very simple. Success in any area of life is directly connected to how well you handle change. Success in any area of life is directly connected to how well you handle change. You hit an event, an obstacle, a difficulty, a trauma, a trial that you didn't expect. Okay. You decided to fight well and you did, but then the situation changed. And sometimes that's as far as people get. I tried. It didn't work. Well, when the situation changes, you don't change who you are. You don't change your character. This is not about being deceptive or even changing your goals. It's about understanding the enemy gets a say in this fight. The circumstances have changed and I need to change with them. So we were supposed to stay on the near side of the bridge because the circumstance changed. The enemy continued to drop mortar rounds on top of us. We got to the top of the bridge. We had to change and you have to change. So many examples. I think COVID gives us a lot of these examples. The difference between businesses that made it and businesses that didn't over the last couple of years in so many situations comes right down to how well change was handled. We could talk a lot about that, but you have to change, change with the circumstances. I made a decision in that process and the decision was to get on top of the bridge. We needed to deal with the enemy, but I made a big mistake. I got eight vehicles bunched up on top of a bridge that was a pre-planned target for those mortars. So we were in a bad spot. 
and I moved us into a horrible spot. Uh, we were on top of the bridge. The mortar rounds were falling. Um, there was an anti-aircraft gun just on the other side of the the canal where we were, and it was you know elevated to prevent our helicopters from going over. When we got on top of the bridge, we were the threat. They started to spin our direction. Uh, things went from bad to worse very, very quickly. I was standing outside of the vehicle at one point, streaming into my radio handset, trying to get some help. And uh, the mortar rounds were falling and just the percussion of those rounds, like like through my body, uh, something you'll never forget. It's just crazy. And I look back and think, you know, only God could get us through that. And he did. But that's where this principle comes together for me. You, you hit a battle you didn't plan for. You decided you're going to fight well. The enemy still wants to fight. So things have changed. You get yourself into a place you thought was better and turns out it wasn't. Now you have to make a decision. You're overwhelmed. <laughs> what do you do? Well, you can stay where you are and die. And on that day, it would have been real death. Or you can march. You can move to a place where you can better impact the enemy in front of you. I use that enemy word very, very broadly. The enemy can be anything. It's To me, the enemy is anything or anyone that prevents forward movement. So that's, that's an enemy, right? And that can be people. It can be situations. It can be circumstances. But that's my definition of enemy. And we could let the enemy win by just staying there. I was overwhelmed. My Marines were overwhelmed. We were in a bad spot. I could have made the decision to just stay there. We're just going to try to make this thing work. We would have died. But thankfully, without speaking, we made the decision to march, to get off of that bridge, to get to a better place where we could impact the enemy. And we did. We came out on the other side of that engagement on top <laughs> because of that decision to move, to march when it would have been much easier to stay where we were and die. Two other things quickly. I know I'm taking a long time. But <laughs> this is gold. <laughs> I You take as much time as you need because this is great. And there's there's so much here, right? And, and I've spent nearly 20 years just thinking about that almost every day. And, and so much of <laughs> it, just that so experience. Just so you know, it shows. It shows that you've thought about <laughs> it. <probably. laughs> well, and so much of that, it was one of those experiences. It shapes how I look at my kids and how I look at um, how I run the organization I'm responsible for and how I do the things that I do. But I got to the other side of that and, and a couple things, and, and I don't know if these are principles as much as they are perspectives on the other side of that. So we came through that battle. You know, again, God is gracious and we came out on top. One thing I realized for the first time in my life was that God really is sovereign. I, I grew up in a Christian home. I was a Christian. My dad was a pastor. I, I believe these things, but I had never taken them on board for myself in terms of how do I feel about God and my relationship to God and what does that mean? And after all of that happened, <laughs> this overwhelming thought, like a like a like physical, like I could feel it, this overwhelming thought. Some may say it was an adrenaline dump. It could have been a lot of things. I'll tell you though that the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me, and the realization was nobody cares who you are. <laughs> And that's a freeing thought. The enemy doesn't care who you are, where you came from, what you look like, what color you are, what your background is, what your education is, does not care. The enemy wants to destroy you. And you can't control that. God is sovereign. Let God be God and do what you can do. That lesson, again, has followed me throughout my life. I need to let God be God and do what I can do because he's sovereign, he's God, and I'm not. The other perspective on that was something that has, I won't say scared me, but definitely is sobering to me. I have a picture of my platoon in Baghdad. So a couple of weeks later, we ended up in Baghdad, the Battle of Baghdad, crazy experience. 
I've got a big picture hanging over my desk of my platoon in the rubble of uh, the palace grounds in Baghdad. And many, many, many times I've looked at that picture and I've, I've kind of asked myself introspectively, what would have happened to those Marines if I had made the decision to stay on that bridge and just fight it out or see what would happen? Because I was overwhelmed. It was just too hard. I couldn't do it. What would have happened to those Marines? A bunch of them would have died. That's what would have happened. So kind of the final lesson in this to me about leadership is it's really not about me. It's not about you. There are people who are watching you to see what you're going to do. You may not even know they're watching. If I had said to those Marines, we're going to stay here, they would have stayed with me and they would have died with me. Again, thankfully, that's not a conversation that we had and, and God is sovereign and we moved. But your decision to stay where you are and die, your decision to not move forward is not a decision that will only impact you, although it will impact you. It will impact your family. It will impact your business. It will impact people who you don't know are watching you, other people who will also make the decision to die because they trusted you, they were following you, and they're going to do what you did. It's not about you. <laughs> and you know, I've struggled with this idea of servant leadership or spiritual leadership for many, many years. I wrote a book on leadership because I was trying to figure it out. And sometimes what we call spiritual leadership is kind of like manipulation. It's, it's like leadership with God attached or manipulation with God attached, right? I can get people to do what I want them to. Real leadership, real spiritual leadership, real servant leadership really is doing what's best for the people that you lead. And that's the only way to move forward. So a lot of stories there. Again, I could continue to speak to that, but those are some of the big principles that I took out of that event, that singular event that in so many ways has formed how I view leading and living. I have three things. Uh, one is uh, gratitude. One is an observation. And then the third one is a question. So the gratitude is thank you for your service. Uh, and then thank you for sharing the story of your service so that others benefit because Man, uh, you tell one heck of a story, and I know you know that. But I like I truly think one of the best ways we can serve people is through our story. And I've heard you say something Agreed. similar to that. And so you just do such a good job of that. So thank you for that. The observation that I just want to share with everyone is it feels a little bit meta that you just talked on being prepared for the unexpected because I did not prepare you for that question, right? Like I didn't tell you like, <laughs> just so you know, I'm going to ask you for right. a story and ask you for principles to come out of it. And I just want you to have your answer ready. Like you had no clue that was coming. And I want y'all to know that are listening to this. Like I did not tell him that was coming. It's like, but whenever the question was asked, he had the story prepared and the principles and then the question that I would ask you with regard to that, that I'm really interested in is it's clear to me just out of that answer that you are someone who looks at experiences and doesn't just take them at face value, right? You literally could have just taken that story as a story about a bridge that was an interesting experience that you moved on from and thank God you survived. But you've done the hard work of extracting the principles that were embedded in that story that can then be shared with others. And I think that's, whether it's in combat or not, that's what so many of us as leaders are called to do. So was that a strength or is that something that you've learned to do? And if you did learn to do it, where did that come from this paradigm or perspective of, I'm going to look for principles and extract them so that they can be used to serve others? I fully believe and agree with you that story is the most powerful tool that we have to communicate truth to others. I have kind of a life mission statement. 
I could read it to you, but I'll paraphrase. <laughs> it's to communicate truth to people in a way that is compelling and entertaining, <laughs> but simple enough that they can get a hold of the truth. And that's a paraphrase. But I believe that we are called and created to communicate truth. That is God's truth, not our truth. That phrase, our truth, is, is pretty silly, but God's truth to other people. And that what God gives us to do that is our own experiences and our own stories and the stories of others. We look at the Bible and the Bible is full of stories. Why? Because there's so many lessons to be learned from those stories. Several years ago, I was studying through the book of Revelation, which I try not to do because it's overwhelming <laughs> to me. But Revelation chapter 12 tells us that the deceiver of the brethren was defeated by the power of testimony. And there is so much power in testimony. Testimony tears down walls. Testimony makes connections. Testimony lets people know that they're not alone, that they have experiences, that other people have similar experiences, and that there are lessons to be learned from that. I believe that looking at your experience and then extrapolating principles that can be taught or learned personally, it redeems what so often seem like wasted experiences or wasted aspects of our lives. Redemption is the word redeem or redemption, not in a salvation sense. It means to add value where once there was none, where something was worthless. Now it has value. You could redeem a bottle. <laughs> you could redeem a lot of things. That redemption is that. And I think when we look at our life and our stories and our circumstance and our experience and say, what can I learn from this? What has God taught me from this? How can I use this to help others? You are redeeming what in some cases is is difficult, is hard, is worthless, is broken, is hurtful, and you're turning it into something wonderful. It's being redeemed. I don't know where I learned it. I'll tell you, I've seen it play out very, very powerfully through the work that we do with veterans. The, the organization that I run, we have programs for veterans. And everything we do is from a testimonial standpoint. We teach classes, we have breakouts, we discuss life, we try to work through traumas and get people to understand how to align their lives to what God created them to be. And all of it is through testimony. Uh, if someone teaches a class in our program, it must begin. <laughs> I mean, we, we make them begin it with what is your testimony as it relates to this class that you're teaching? Um, this is where I was. I sat here, I listened to this class. This is what I've learned. And this is how I want to help you. There's so much power in testimony. It's one thing to teach lessons and principles that can be very, very helpful. But when you tie a personal experience to it and you're transparent and honest about it, I struggled, this hurt. I didn't like that. I was scared. I was overwhelmed. But God, <laughs> it changes every conversation. I love that you use the word testimony there because I think that so often we can think about that word in a ministry context. But I think it's probably one of the most powerful assets to the leader's tool belt as well. And I and right. the thing Absolutely. that's also probably worth talking about here is the fact that the advice that you're giving, while it is good public speaking advice, and if you're teaching a class, it's great advice for that. It's also really good leadership advice. So can you speak a little bit about the role of testimony and and kind of two things, testimony and also vulnerability, like being authentic and genuine about your weaknesses and about your fallibilities in leadership? Sure. 
we talk about the transparent leader and we can read books about the transparent leader. And again, if we're not careful, some of that can become manipulation. We can look at that as a tool that we can use to get people to do what we want them to do. So in our pocket, we've got this story that's going to stir emotion. But in our mind, what we're going to do is use that to get them to do what we want them to do. I believe that a leader should always lead to get people to do what God wants them to do. <laughs> in fact, my definition of leadership, and I think it's similar to what you defined or how you define leadership when we talked before, but my definition of leadership is moving people from where they are to where they need to be. So what is a leader? It's someone who moves people from where they are to where they need to be. Where do they need to be? Where God wants them to be. And so there's a lot that goes into that, but transparency, it builds trust it builds a connection with people that nothing else can. People feel alone. People believe they're alone. People are their own worst counselor because in their mind, they say, I could never let this out because of what people would think, because people don't understand what it's like to be me. People in a corporate setting can live in fear because they don't have a relatable leader, someone they can talk to about what's going on at home and how that's impacting their work or goals that they have for their life that would allow them to be more fulfilled in the work that we're asking them to do. We have to be transparent and honest. Now, you know, this gets a little bit murky in the leadership world, depending on where it is, because you don't want to be overly transparent and overly honest and undermine your own ability to lead. Transparency should communicate, I have struggled, I've learned, this is what I've learned, this is how I've applied it. And I want you to know <laughs> that I've tried some things and failed. I've worked hard and not always come out on the other side the way that I thought I would, but I continue to work, I continue to move forward and here are the principles. Can I ask you a question on that specifically? It's interesting, I think in the leadership space right now, so many people are spending so many times or so many people are spending so much time looking back at COVID and everything pre-COVID, during COVID, and now kind of reflecting on the fact that we're post-COVID. And I think that's good because there's probably a lot of lessons and principles that we should extract from that. But one of the things that, at least for myself as a leader, I want to see more content on is, okay, the world that we're stepping into right now yes. is equally wild, if not more wild. And the amount of uncertainty related to inflation, related to uh, international crisis, related to uh, culture wars at home and abroad, like these are all things that leaders are going to have to deal with. And to your point earlier, like, man, you better be prepared. And, and so with that, on this topic of vulnerability, I want us to uh, hit on a couple things related to this because I'd really value your perspective on this. But with regard to this topic of vulnerability in that lens, I know the right thing for a leader to do is not, hey guys, let's have a team meeting. And then at the team meeting, tell everyone, I'm freaking out right now because everything's right, yeah, right, uncertain, right? Right, 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 right. So we know it's not that, but what is proper with regard to transparency, vulnerability in the midst of all the uncertainty that's around the corner? Yeah, I will say this. A lot of it comes back to James 1.5. It's asking God for wisdom <laughs> because we need to know when it's time to say, all right, we're done talking. It's time to move forward, right? That, that time comes and a leader needs to do that. But that should happen after a relationship is built based on transparency and, and trust that leads to that. I think that a leader needs to acknowledge the challenges that are in front of them. I think it would be unwise not to to even acknowledge those to the team, not I'm freaking out, but 
hey guys, we've got some big challenges in front of us. The landscape has changed. Where we were two years ago is not where we are today because the world has changed. And so we need to figure out together how we're going to move forward together. I think the level of transparency in that, that says, I don't have all of the answers. I know there is an answer. I don't have all of the answers, but we're going to figure it out and we're going to move forward together. That empowers your team. It also creates an environment where the team doesn't look at you as either uh, so arrogant that you think you know everything or unwilling to listen to their input and what they have. Pull the team in. Let them know there are challenges. You know there are challenges. You don't have it figured out, and we need to move forward together. One of my favorite Steve Jobs quotes, and I can't remember the whole thing. I wish I had written it down for this moment, <laughs> but he's speaking, in, he's speaking in front of the shareholders of Apple after they brought him back. And if you're familiar with that story, crazy story, they brought him back. He's talking about how Apple is going the way of IBM. They've started to sell off parts of the company. And he talks about you know a lot of different things. And he, he sums it up with this. The answer for Apple is to innovate our way out of our current situation. I love that quote because that is a very strong, very clear leader saying, I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers but together we're going to figure it out. And I think that level of transparency is very, very important. Oh man. And I, I feel like it inspires so much confidence whenever you know you're following a leader that's in touch with reality. Because, 100%. because he's he, what he's not saying is everything is great at Apple and we're going to innovate to make it better. He's saying, man, things are not going well. And so we've got to innovate. Right. I mean, is this your experience? My experience is that People can often handle way more of the truth than we give them credit for. Right. So there's a difference between being transparent and being emotional. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> and I think I think a leader has to has to know where the line is. I'm not going to stand in front of my team and break down. Now I might sit in front of a counselor and break down or a mentor and break down, but my team needs to have enough confidence that we're going to move forward together. They can trust me. They know that's going to happen. But I do need to be transparent enough to yeah, acknowledge, I don't have it all figured out. None of us have it all figured out. This is a new world, but we're going to figure it out together and we are going to figure it out. And so get on board and let's move forward together. I, I don't know why someone on that team would not be excited about working in that place. I also think that that probably dilutes some of the leadership is lonely experience that so many people have. Sometimes I think, well, maybe I'm lonely as a leader because I've allowed myself to become isolated with all the details of what's actually going on. Yeah, that's that's right. I, I think you know we could talk about micromanaging versus empowering your teams. And if you're willing to empower your teams, there is a level of vulnerability that's necessary to do that. A micromanager is someone who is typically insecure and who is not transparent. They want people to believe they have all of the answers. And so they're going to control every aspect of their business. A leader who empowers their team is someone who says, you know, I don't have all the answers. You'll probably do things different than I would do, but I trust you. And I trust you because I believe you're going to get to a better answer than I would get to on my own. And that's a level of transparency, honestly, and trust that values a team member. And I think moves an organization, particularly right now, I'm a very interested and very focused on churches and churches right now that are trying to get back to how they were having church (laughs) two years ago are really going to struggle because the world has changed and they need to change with it. Related to that, when you think about 
things culturally that are kind of around the corner. And obviously we can't predict with absolute certainty, but man, we can kind of see the writing on the wall. We've got an election coming up and then we've got another big one in two years. Like, and we know what that looked like last time. And then you think about economically how things are going right now. You think about the stress associated with international crisis. How are you thinking about preparation for what's coming in the future for yourself personally, but then also for, I mean, the hundreds, if not thousands of people that depend on you and your organization, how are you thinking about stepping into that next season from a posture of preparedness? So, you know, just for context, our organization is about a $5 million a year nonprofit. We serve thousands of veterans and active duty service members and first responders. We have facilities across the country. So there are a lot of people who depend on us. And the burden is that in our world, the need continues to grow. It doesn't ever diminish. We'll never get to the other side of it. And so we have to be very careful. Honestly, I think economically, things are very confusing right now. And the right move is a conservative move. We are doing our best to, as we raise money and our donors have been incredible, uh, we're able to pay for our programs. No one pays to attend our programs. We cover travel costs for people to get to our programs. And we do that through incredible donors. But understanding the world as it is, those incredible donors are also impacted by the economy. We've tried to be very conservative about you know, saving and preparing and getting good advice from financial folks who can help us with that. So that's one thing on the kind of economic or financial side. I also think this is a good time to reevaluate your mission statement, what it is exactly you're trying to do. This is a time where fear can drive us into mission drift. We'll start to do things that we would not have otherwise done or that are outside of our stated uh, purpose or mission. And organizationally, we've gone through a process and are going through a process of you know, looking at that again, examining it again, and doing our best to understand that again. So we have clarity moving forward in spite of what may be happening in the world and continuing to communicate. We don't do a good job of this, but communicating throughout our organization, what we believe, what we're trying to accomplish, how we're doing that, and uh, really trying to reassure people who aren't sitting at the conference table every week that there is a plan and that we are moving forward and that you know, we understand what's happening in the world. So I don't know if that gets to what you're asking, but for us, it's conservative financially, re not defining, but re-engaging with our mission statement and our purpose so that we're clear and then communicating that outside to uh, employees. And, and we use a lot of contractors who aren't involved in the decision-making process. Yeah. What is the biggest lesson you've learned, maybe even in just the past few years about organizational communication as it relates to um, you're communicating with people that have a bunch of different perspectives, whether they're an executive, whether they're an employee, whether they're a contractor, whether they're a consumer, but then also you're communicating to people in a wide variety of geographic locations as well, since y'all are spread out so much. What have you learned in that about communication that you think would be helpful for the people listening? We've grown quite a bit over the last uh, 10 years. At one time, not that long ago, there were a handful of us that would get on the phone six times a week, and it was just very organic and very natural. The thing that I have personally been grappling with is that's not the case anymore. It's not organic and natural, and it has to be forced. Communication has to be forced. Trying to force in-person communication, trying to force video communication, and uh, sitting down and doing weekly video updates for our team pulling people into Zoom meetings who are spread across the country, communicating through email, 
So over communicating, I know this has been said many, many times, but man, it is so true right now, particularly if your team is spread out across the country. And then with donors, our marketing team is just constantly pushing out content and um, pushing out content that communicates to those people who support us. And we, we look at it in two ways, those who support us financially and those who need to attend our program. And so we're constantly pushing out uh, updates through social media and um, email newsletter lists and those kind of things. So over-communicate, over-communicate and figure out how to do that as your, your situation, your team has changed. That's really helpful. With regard to kind of the work y'all are doing in terms of expectation setting for your team, because you talked about so much of uh, effective leadership is properly setting expectations. How do you communicate and set expectations in a way that's not like everyone walk around like you're walking on eggshells, right? Yeah, right. Like you don't want to create a sense of paranoia, but you also want to make sure that people's expectations are aligned with reality. So is there anything surrounding that topic that you focus on a lot, Jeremy? We spend a lot of time on our program side, we spend a lot of time training um, our folks. So just for context, again, everyone who is a part of our programs, they teach, they lead, uh, they're a part of what happens on a weekly, at a weekly program. They've all attended our programs as students, um, every single one. They came as a student. Most of them accepted Christ during the week of that program and began to grow. We work with them for about a year through a training process that we've developed, which includes conversations and counseling and um, mentorship and reading and all those things, and really trying to get to that alignment so that people understand what our ultimate goal is. (laughs) So the ultimate goal is getting the man or woman who attends a program to align their lives to the life God created them to live. So that's, that's it. In terms of numbers of people, we state this year, for instance, a thousand students through one of our week-long programs. That's our goal. We do a lot of other things. We do resiliency training. We speak to a lot of people outside of that. But in our week-long programs, our stated goal is a thousand people through one of those week-long programs. But then with our program leadership, I do my best with them, working with them to break down what that looks like. No one needs to worry about a thousand except for me. (laughs) What I want our program team to worry about is taking those 2,500, 2,700 applications we have sitting in a queue, getting those people into one of our programs. And we know that if we fill up every one of our sessions over the course of the year, which requires incredible logistics and planning and organization, if we do that, then we're going to reach that thousand goal. Again, it's about the process, not the product. If we fall short of a thousand, but we worked the process and worked with as many people as we could to get them in a program. I'm okay with that. So I want our team to just focus on the process. What is our process? Well, someone fills out an application. We've got application people who coordinate that. They get them then to the next stage and we get them all the way into a program and then on the other side of that. So focus on the process. I'll worry about the big number. I'll publish it. I want you to know what we're going for. I want you to know how we're going to get there. (laughs) And I want you to understand your part in that. So there shouldn't be a walking around scared. It should be simply a focus on doing the job that we've hired you to do. Gosh, that's really good. One of the things that also stands out to me about the work that y'all do that I think a lot of people listening to this would be really interested in is, I mean, you are so uh, clear about the fact that uh, you are a Christian, you are a Christ follower. And um, is it fair to say that Mighty Oaks is a faith-based organization? Is, Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. yeah. In fact, you, you know, that would be the terminology we'd use for it. We're a faith-based nonprofit that serves veterans, active duty service members, and first responders. 
Yeah. So it's kind of sad, kind of funny, but also terrifying that like for you to say earlier in this conversation, you're like, you know, I don't really know what your truth is. That's kind of silly. I think it's God's truth. It's kind of sad that it's like, that's kind of a topic of dissension right now and, and, sure. like, and kind of scary in some ways. The concept of truth is a little bit complicated right now, and it's it's not entirely uh, hard to perceive that it could be way more complicated in the coming months and years. How do you all think about, man, there are some things that we're going to stand on and like we are not going to budge even if it costs us as an organization versus there's some things that it's like, man, that's that although we know what we believe, that's not our battle to fight and we're not going to fight it. Do you get what I'm asking there? And is that something you all have considered? That is a great question. And that is my ongoing battle. (laughs) So to the truth thing, this is an aside, but words are very important. And I think if we can redefine a word like truth, then we can, again, turn the world inward. Now it's about me. I prefer the word reality. So you have a reality. This is your reality. These are your circumstance. This is where you live. These are the people you're connected to. These are the problems you're having. That is your reality. But truth is truth. And if if we try to follow something else and call it truth, we're going to end up in the wrong place. Truth is given to us by God, I believe, given to us through his word. And we understand that through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, again, not everyone listening would agree with that, and that's fine. But there has to be, to me, there has to be an absolute standard. When people come to us, when they come to our program, they come because they've tried everything else. They have access to clinical programs. They have access to everything else. And a lot of those things can be helpful. Many of them have tried and are trying medication. Some medication can be helpful, but often we'll have students who will show up and they're on 20 or more medications a day to try to deal with anxiety, try to deal with depression, try to deal with these things. And they're, you know, that is their reality, but that's certainly not truth. (laughs) The truth is that God created them, that God has a purpose for them, and that if they'll align their life to that purpose, then the hold that trauma and all this other stuff has on them, your past doesn't go away, but you're no longer chained by that past. You can move forward and you can begin to make progress. And so when we as an organization, you know, kind of the thing we fight about (laughs) is uh, what's important to us from a biblical standpoint and what are we willing to let go? Part of our year-long training process is working to get people of varied backgrounds to understand what we as Mighty Oaks, the Mighty Oaks Foundation, our organization, what we are standing on. And what we stand on is, is really pretty simple. Again, depending on your, your church background, you know, it's the gospel. <laughs> it's that Jesus is God, that he left heaven, he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he was buried, he bodily rose again because he's God. He defeated sin, hell, death, and the grave. I mean, it's a very simple gospel message. We stand on that. We're not going to change on that. So you can believe a lot of other things, but we're going to teach that. Just to clarify on that, people to, to engage in one of your programs, they don't necessarily have to believe that to engage with you, is that, but they've got to be okay with the fact that that's where you come from correct? Yeah. So organizationally, there are things that our leaders understand. We teach these things. We believe these things. But yes, on the other side, for a student, most of the students who attend our program are not 
believers, they're not Christians. Many of them would even say and have said, I don't believe in God or I believe in God, but I hate God. I was raised in a Christian home. It didn't work for me. But they're there. They're here because they just don't have anywhere else to go. So they're willing to put up with the faith thing to try to get some tools that can help them move forward. And there so was what a lot we do of that. The- there was a lot of that at Ramsey Solution, working for Dave Ramsey. It's like, uh, I mean, I really need to get out of debt. Yep. I could do without all this Bible stuff, but I really need to get. And it's like, man, those, those are such fun comments. To right. Get. <laughs> the, and those are the principles, right? And so what? What the way we approach that, and this may be a little deeper than <laughs> you were asking me to go, but the way we approach that is, we know where we want to end up. We want to end up with every student who comes to our program, at least realizing that God created them, God loves them, God has a plan for their life. Now, whether they accept that or not, we again, we can't control that, but we want to get to that point. So the way I have taught it historically to our team is we need to take a funnel approach. The first day someone's at one of our sessions is not the day to say, do you know that Jesus is your savior? You know, don't, that's, that's not where we start. Where we start is, hey, just so you know, all of us believe that God is, that he created, that he has a plan for our lives. We're going to teach some things over the next couple of days. You may or may not agree with it. That's fine. But we want you to contrast the life you're living with the life we're presenting to you. And whatever you believe on the other side of that is up to you. So it's the big funnel, right? And then we work to a point where we do get to a point later in the week after trust has been built through testimony, after hours have been spent in a circle with their team leader, breaking down life issues trust is there. We get to a point where we say, hey, just so you know, (laughs) when we talk about having a relationship with God, this is what we mean. And we get to that point, but we start here because yes, most of the folks who attend our program are not Christians. And uh, we want them to get to the point where they understand we're not trying to force you to do anything, but these principles we're teaching you, I would imagine just like with uh, Dave Ramsey's programs, these principles we're teaching you, they come from the Bible. <laughs> you've got to know that and you've got to understand that. And the missing piece, because you're here looking for the missing piece, the missing piece is a relationship with your creator. That's the missing piece. And uh, we want to help you get to that. So yeah, there are some non-negotiables. Yeah. Well, that that right there, there are some non-negotiables because I think the parallel here, it's like if someone owns a landscaping company or a marketing agency or gosh, we've got, we work with a a woman that owns a network of charter schools, right? It's like, if you do that work, it's not necessarily that you have to take the same stance as Mighty Oaks is taking because the work that you do is different, but man, it would be worthwhile to take some stance and to know what that stance is. So can you speak to the value of, and it sounds like you and your leadership team are actively having these discussions. Can you speak to the value of like drawing your lines before you need to enforce them? Because it's kind of feeling like down the road, we might need to enforce some of these lines here. Yeah. A bit. Well, and there are, you know, there are the, the more Bible-based or theological positions that we hold. And, you know, again, the gospel is one of those, you know, who God is, who Jesus is, um, you know, very, very basic, fundamental Uh, orthodox Christian beliefs. We hold to those. But there are a lot of people who are involved in what we do that come from different backgrounds that would agree or or believe in, you know, I mean, (laughs) the myriad of things that you can believe you go to church. But these are the non-negotiables. So we we hang on to those. And then some of the cultural non-negotiables for us, again, we align those to scripture. Uh, The big one for us that we spent a lot of time talking about and just 
doing our best to understand are some of the gender issues. Because as, so we've worked with the military, the military has always been a very conservative organization that's changing so much. And what that means is some of these gender issues that culture's dealing with, the military is now dealing with, and consequently, organizations like ours will continue to deal with. So we have had to even rewrite our bylaws to address some of these things so that um, it's very, very clear. It's clear to our board. It's clear to certainly our staff. And then it's clear to the other folks that we bring in to help us lead programs. You know, how do we deal with someone who, for instance, would hold a different position on homosexuality than we would, or we believe the Bible would? Uh, What do we do with some of the transgender stuff? What do we do with, you know, some of these other issues? And we've had to spend time really breaking that down, not only what we believe, but how we're going to handle these issues when they arise. And, you know, and this is very important. We also know that people are hurting and broken. And if they're coming to us, it's because they're dealing with some stuff. (laughs) And so we want to handle it in a way that's helpful to them, not just you don't qualify because you believe something different than we do. So we try to be deliberate about that conversation as well. Yeah. I, I think it's one of the things that I realized recently, we, we did a in-person experience last summer and we had about, gosh, there were between 15 to 20 business owners there. And we were kind of talking about like, how, how does truth play a role in your business and how are you laying the groundwork to be a business that's built on truth and that stands for truth. And, um, it was amazing to see that just about every person in the room in some way had had to interact with the topic of sexuality or gender identity with an employee in their business. Like just about everyone had, had done that. And I feel like we kind of talk about it right now as a topic that it's like, oh, it's so rare. You're not going to have to deal with this. Yeah. Just in, and yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it's like, this is going to be something it would probably be wise to anticipate. If you're not dealing with it yes. currently, you're going to have to deal with it. And that's not something for the sake of that person that I would want you to just be extemporaneously speaking on and making up your stance on as you go. So yeah, like, is there any other wisdom you would share just in terms of how do leaders inform their stance on that? Or how do people gain wisdom on those topics that are so culturally sensitive? And at the same time, you do have a responsibility to lead through them. I do think it, there's a difference, as you mentioned, between a landscaping business and what we do. We are trying to drive people to truth. And because that's our goal, we we can't pretend that things that are unbiblical, you know, violate who God is as the creator, having created us in his image. We we can't pretend that those things are okay. If we're trying to drive people to truth, we can't ignore those things that violate that truth. So our goal is just different than some businesses would be. And so we have to be very deliberate about that. Now, you know, put it in the right context. If someone is involved in a heterosexual relationship with someone that they're not married to, that also needs to be addressed. We can't overlook that either because it's culturally acceptable. And so we do our very best. We don't always get it right, but we do our very best to ask the question, what does the Bible say about this? And how can we move people through that? If my goal was to make money, if the bottom line was just, you know, what is our income or I need employees who are qualified with this skill to do this job. Even as a Christian, I would have a different perspective on that. I 
I would be okay with saying, this is what I believe, but you come here to work a job and make money. And I would have to deal with that differently than I do in our world. But our world is to model what God desires for us to do. And we have to address these issues. If your issue is, is you know, lying or stealing or you're intoxicated every day or you're abusing your spouse, these are all issues that we have to deal with. They're all anti-God, anti-biblical um, anti-Bible issues, and we have to deal with those. And so the gender stuff, although it's culturally a mess, we have to deal with it in the same way. I will say this as an aside, with some of these more cultural issues, I want our leadership to deal with those things. I don't want someone that we brought in for a week to lead a team to deal with that. Um, it needs to be someone that represents our organization. And the reason for that is because hopefully they understand our position and uh, they're able to handle it with grace and care, um, but also with clarity and truth. You know, so far that's been the case. Now we haven't done everything right, but we've had to prepare for that and talk to our leaders about that. Mm. I kind of reflect on just when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, right? And uh, said, man, like, don't, you don't put a lamp under a basket, but you put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house in the same way, let your light shine before men. Like I think about that section of the Sermon on the Mount and in thinking about that, uh, one of the really hopeful things associated with that truth is that, man, if you're a leader, that's a Christ follower, like when you experience encroaching darkness, like you should also say, man, that's outrageous opportunity. So within that, with all of the, with all of the things and, and there's, there's a multitude of things going on right now that represent darkness. What is the gospel-centered opportunity that you see for leaders in this season? Yeah, I think it's awesome. I believe there is tremendous opportunity right now. I'm glad you asked that because I, I just have not heard too many people talking about it. I spend a lot of time, <laughs> this isn't healthy, but a lot of time consuming kind of the, the right wing kind of news. And it's just, it's so angry and it's, it's all about how bad everything is. And I think spirit-filled leaders need to understand there's an incredible opportunity. Um, you know, getting back to some of the gender stuff, we know because research has been done, studies have been done that people who are struggling with gender identity, that there are some real typically traumas taking place. There are some hurts. There is a lot of confusion. And for those that are sincerely seeking the truth, they need people who are willing to graciously, kindly, but strongly communicate what God <laughs> desires for all people to do, you know, for us. In, in our context, um, if someone is a homosexual and they want to attend our program, we're not going to turn them away, but they're going to understand that we disagree with the life that they're living and they're going to have to come and they're going to have to deal with that. And they have, and God has worked in lives. Um, the transgender issue is a little trickier, but we work through that as well. And it's not a rejection of people who are different than us. It can't be. It just needs to be a clear stand, graciously delivered on what the truth of God is. And back to even the transparency piece we were talking about earlier, this can't be arrogant and, you know, I'm better than you. It just needs to be an understanding of God has taught us and I do my best to live in line with that. And I want to communicate that to you. It is truly being light. Um, there's an incredible, incredible opportunity right now. I think we're even seeing, you know, some of the consequences of that. People who are coming to the end of the road on some of this stuff and just going, there's nothing here. It's so empty. It's so dark. This is not what I thought it was. Where do I go from here? Well, Christians need to step into that gap. Mm. Associated with that too, 
if you start to perceive yourself as the person that's standing in the gap, like, I think we all agree, hopefully we all agree, like that is necessary. But if you start to perceive yourself in that way, man, it's a thin line between yeah, sure. uh, between doing that from a posture of humility and grace and doing yep. that from a posture of superiority and arrogance. And so how yes, do absolutely. you as a leader guard against like arrogance of the heart, superiority of the heart, moral superiority? How do you preserve a, a heart of humility? You have people around you that'll knock you down if you get out of line. <laughs> I don't know a better way. And I'll tell you, we have a lot of folks who are involved in the work that we do. And it's a really quick run from I'm completely hopeless and broken to I've entered into a relationship with God through Christ to I've learned some stuff to I'm better than you. <laughs> and it's a really quick run. And we have to have mature people around to go, hey, you're missing it. When you were hopeless and broken, someone put their arm around you and sat down and said, this is my story. Let me share it with you. This is what God did in my life. And I believe God can do the same thing in your life. Because of that, you had hope. Because of that, you found direction. Don't ever lose that. And we have to be always on on guard. The, the worst thing anyone can do, a leader or anyone else, is to isolate themselves. And uh, I've heard you talk about the different people you have in your life. We all have to have people in our lives that keep us accountable. I, I think this is why friends are important, but I think this is why mentors and counselors are so important because hopefully they're able to see things the way they are without the emotional baggage that comes with having a, a friendship type of relationship with you. And they can just call you out on it. You have to have those people in your life. Uh, I believe the Bible, spending time in the word, it cuts as Hebrews chapter four tells us, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Um, it's it's God's word and the Holy Spirit of God that will reveal those things to us. We have to be in a place where the word of God, the Bible is being taught and preached. That's in a church setting, in community, with people who can call us out. There, there is not a, I, I don't know, I, I, this is a pretty strong statement. I don't believe there is a better way because that's that's where we end up. Arrogant leadership is isolated leadership every single time. And if you are arrogant in your leadership is because you're not allowing people to speak truth into your life. And that is so true, even in the spiritual world. And you may be one of those people. Like you may be, yeah. you like the first person that's got to speak truth into my life is me. And it's like, yes. man, if I, and, and so where does that come about? Well, I, I think like you already said, like the only time I'm going to realize the seeds of my own self-deception is probably in prayer and in reading God's word. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, the Bible is says of itself that it's a mirror and it allows us to see our reflection. James says, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to, are you going to respond to it or just turn around and walk away? There is a reality attached to that. The reality attached to that is we have good intentions, but we don't always do the right thing. So sometimes we will turn around and walk away and hopefully we don't walk too far away before someone that cares about us says, Hey, what, in the, what in the world are you doing? You don't talk like that. You don't treat people like that. That's not who you are. That's not who you should be. That's not reflecting Christ. And again, you're going to have to make a decision on the other side of that, but you need those people in your life. Yeah. Man, I, I appreciate your willingness to go into some of these uh, heavy topics that people don't always often talk about I, I, and, and your openness about it. I, I just really appreciate that. And so on that note, I've got another little bit of a heavy topic that I think your perspective would be really helpful for people on. Y'all do so much work with people that have experienced trauma. And I know that so often 
that is trauma through the lens of PTSD. However, I, I think I've read some things that you've written that say like, man, it doesn't matter if you've spent a day in the military in your life, like trauma is something that everyday civilians should reckon with and should understand. Are there any concepts or principles surrounding this topic of trauma that it would be wise for leaders to know and understand for themselves, but also for the fact that they've got people that depend on them? Yeah, man, we could spend you know a couple hours talking about <laughs> this and breaking it down. But the Cliff Notes version, I think, and, and I'll try to get to to the point. Trauma, and, and even in our in our world, we talk about combat trauma, or we talk about trauma related to your service as a police officer or a firefighter. But the reality is, and having done this for a long time now and seen thousands of people come through our program, most of the trauma that people are dealing with goes back to childhood or before their service. You would be absolutely blown away how many men and women endured years of sexual trauma as children and then found their way into the military or into the you know the fire service or the police department and then the stuff that they were experiencing brought that trauma to the surface and it pushed them beyond their ability to cope and i think that's the point that is important to remember we could clinically define trauma and there's a clinical definition for trauma if you go and sit with a, a counselor you go to the va in our case or you, there's a clinical definition but practically speaking, definitions are only helpful if they serve as a bridge to get you to the help you need. And so we can get so wrapped up on, on definitions that, you know, like, well, you, you don't really have trauma. You're not really this bad or that bad, or I'm not that bad, so I shouldn't seek help. Here's a simple definition of trauma that I've heard and I love. Trauma is an event or series of events that has pushed one beyond their ability to cope. An event or series of events that has pushed one beyond their ability to cope. Now, that's not a clinical definition, but practically speaking, I think all of us can relate to that. I don't always know why the people in my life have come to that place where they can no longer cope. They just can't go on, right? But there's an event or series of events that's pushed them to that point. And personally, I need to be attuned enough and aware enough to know that I've gotten to a point because of events that have happened, circumstances that have happened, maybe not even a big set of circumstances, but enough that have pushed me on beyond my ability to cope where I just don't want to do it anymore. Well, that's that's trauma. And so I need to work through that trauma. And you know, there are ways to work through that trauma. There are a lot of things, again, that we could talk about, but I think uh, one is identifying that, it's understanding that. Uh, two, it would be getting some people into your life that can help unpack that. We don't always know even why we feel the way that we do, why we are experience this, experiencing this overwhelm that we are. I mentioned to you, I just listened to your podcast on uh, getting out of a funk, right? Well, we can use a phrase like that and a word like that. We know what that means. And you talked about that. We know what that means, but how do you really define that? Where does that come from? We know when we're there, we just don't always know how we got there. And Trying to figure it out on our own is, is pretty dangerous. There is extreme power in sitting down and talking to someone. This is how I feel. This is when it started. This are some of the experiences. It's amazing how freeing it is just to get some of that stuff out of your head. And uh, even physiologically, our body responds to, to speaking these things, spiritually certainly as well. Um, so it's that. It's getting the right people in your life. And then it is, again, going back to truth, it's having an encounter with truth. So much of I can't go on is because I'm not seeing things clearly and I'm not looking at things honestly. It's not because I'm trying to be deceptive or, or deceived. 
I just am not seeing it clearly. So I need to have an encounter with truth. Where does that happen? It happens through reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, getting around other Christians and in a church setting, a church context, and having people in your life that can speak truth into your life. Mm. There are four things we tell people when they leave our program, four things you need to do. We call them the four B's. (laughs) Um, It's real simple. Be in the word, be in prayer, be in community, that is in church, and be in connection with uh, what we would say is your corner man. You could use the word mentor, your counselor, be in connection with them. That doesn't mean make them chase you. That means be in connection with them. Go out and and use them. And if you are in the word, the word of God is truth. It is that measuring stick that you can align your life to. You are in prayer. That is your will being aligned to God's will for your life and God working in your life. You're in community. You're around other people who share similar goals, at least from a spiritual perspective. And you're having truth spoken into your life in a more general or broad setting. And then you're in connection with someone a mentor who can apply scriptural truth, biblical truth, real truth to what you're dealing with. Um, There are many other things we could talk about there, but it's understanding what is trauma. Push aside the clinical definition. If you've been traumatized, sexual trauma, physical trauma, um, you know, those kind of things, deal with the clinical definition and get that kind of help. But for people more generally, we're told something like 70% of Americans will deal with a clinically diagnosable traumatic event at some point in their life. Most people just push past it. But if you find yourself in a place where you can't go forward anymore, you need to reconnect, connect with truth, connect with people, connect with community and uh, allow God to work in your life. Yeah. Very, very broad. That's very broad brush, but that's, that's the starting point. Yeah. And I think that's so helpful. I appreciate you for sharing that. One of the things that comes to mind for me on that is that one of the dilemmas that we often see leaders in is that they have someone on their team that has clearly become unable to cope. And yep. one of the things that we all, one of the principles we always refer to on that is like, okay, you're responsible to that person. You can't respond, be responsible for that person, mm. but it, we can see that it can be so easy to almost overreach and you start excusing like yeah. paternal underperformance. Mm. You start excusing like things with regard to how they treat people that you would never allow right. anyone else to do. And, and you just say, well, they're going through a lot right now and we just need to, so what is the line? Because we want to show grace, right? And we yeah. want to be part of someone's story of getting back on track. But what's the line of, man, you crossed that a long time ago, and now you're trying to play God and you can't play God. How do you moderate mm-hmm. or, or understand that line? Well, I I mean, I think that's challenging, right? I mean, it, it depends on, the, again, the setting. If I'm in a business setting and I have an employee that is not performing or they're creating so much conflict on the team that others are not able to perform, they're hurting our bottom line, then that's the line. <laughs> and that person has to be, you know, dealt with is a very strong phrase, but they need to have a conversation with whoever it is that that manages them or oversees them, that leads them. And I think that conversation should include, what are you going through personally that I can help you with? I mean, I care about you. I want us to deal with this. To me, this is the difference between leadership and management. If leadership is moving people from where they are to where they need to be, they have to buy into that. So this is not where you you need to be. You need to be somewhere else. How can I help you get there? Management is when we go, okay, well, you refuse to be led. So 
Now, I'm going to hold you to this corporate standard. And if you don't perform, if you're hurting other people, then there will be consequences. So I think they get to decide in part where that goes. I think a spiritually minded leader, even in a business though, will say, hey, I don't want to get to that. I don't want to get to the corporate, you know, filling out paperwork and having you go through a formal reprimand process and all that. I think those are tools that can be helpful, but I'd prefer to just help you. Um, you're here because I care about you. You're a valued member of the team. What can I do to help you? What tools do you need? What what can I get for you? You know, maybe you need a counselor or whatever the case. So I think that's it. Now, if you're on a, a you know a different kind of a team where that behavior is, um, I don't know what a different setting would be, but there may be a different setting where uh, I'm not going to make you do anything, but I want you to know that I'm here to help you get to where you need to be but you're going to have to decide what you do. I guess that's the line. I kind of talk through that, but. Well, no, I think that's helpful. And, and I mean, the, the where you are to where you need to be is so helpful because I think if we're not careful, and this can be my predisposition, is I just talk to someone that they're not where I want them to be. But we don't ever cast a vision of like, this is where you need, like there's no hope associated with it. It's like, man, yes, like you want people afraid of the consequences of staying where they are, but also like, man, have a vision of, I mean, to use your language, what you're marching towards, right? And why it's actually worth it. Well, and we we tend to think that if we're moving people to where they need to be, that's, that is, to me, the ultimate of that is where God wants them to be. Maybe that's somewhere else. Maybe it's another business. Maybe it's another somewhere. Well, that's a higher calling than me simply getting them to do a job. But if we will help people get to where God wants them to be, the whole organization benefits. Because now they are operating within God's created purpose for their life. That's what we should want for everyone. But again, if it comes to the point where they don't want to participate in that, then we become managers instead of leaders. There's nothing wrong with management. But that's where we become the, well, all right, (laughs) then as long as you're here, you will do these things or there will be consequences. And I think they get to speak into that. It's not about being God for someone. It's about wanting God's best for someone. Yeah. But if they don't want that for themselves, I can't force it on them, but I'm not going to let my business suffer because they're unwilling to pursue God's best for their life. But I mean, the cool thing is, is that if they, if there's even a glimmer, like if there's a glimmer of willingness, like yep. you could collaborate with someone to change their life, right? To Absolutely. Say like, Absolutely. You know, I don't fully comprehend what God's best for you is, but I can tell you it's nowhere close to what we're doing right, right. now. And <laughs> right. Man, right. Like, what if we were to do this and then say like, what would that look, ask them, what would that look like for you? And, and man, I bet you it's so encouraging just to see that when it clicks for someone, I mean, I bet y'all get a front row seat to this every day that when, when change clicks for someone, just the incredible transformation that is possible. It is absolutely amazing. I, I, man, we talk about this a lot in our program and I, I don't have the opportunity to, to attend as many programs as I once did, but we run from Monday to Friday and Monday, everyone's upset. Um, the whole room is mad. Uh, there used to be this time at the end of the first day where all the leaders would come together. And this is when we were much smaller and they'd come and start telling me how this week's going to be a disaster. And somewhere along the line, I started to preach this, trust the process. Look, just trust the process. You're not God. God can work in their life or not. That's up to him. Trust the process. We have one. (laughs) So trust it. (laughs) They're angry on Monday. They're less angry on Tuesday. Wednesday, they're starting to come around. Thursday, there is a physical change in the lives of people who, for the first time, maybe in their lives, 
have hope. It's absolutely unbelievable and it's very real. But I think that can be the same for anyone. How many people work in businesses that have spent their entire life trying to get from one thing to the next, trying to make it, trying to scrape by, trying to figure things out on their own, and have never had a parent or never had a mentor, never had a coach, never had anyone say, I believe in you. Uh, I believe God has something bigger for you. I believe you can accomplish something. And can you imagine being that boss, <laughs> that leader who says, look, we have a bottom line, but but more than the financial bottom line, I, I want to invest in people. And you're one of those people. And God brought you here. How can I help you? I can't imagine the change that would take place. Mm. Amen to that. Very cool. What is something that you're either learning right now or really excited about right now from a leadership perspective or a personal perspective? I don't <laughs> That's a great question. That's the hardest question you've asked me all, all day. <laughs> I was talking to a, uh, a friend uh, last week. Um, he's a friend. He's been a mentor to me. Um, he's in his mid-60s. And we were kind of laughing about how it feels like you're always learning the same lessons over and over again. And uh, he started laughing. He's like, I'm 65 years old. I am always learning these lessons over again. And I think God is just in my life right now, personally, um, reteaching me or helping me to relearn what it is to trust him, uh, what it is to put my hands to the work in front of me and leave the results to him. It's this idea, and, and you know, you run a lot, and in the running world, people will say, you need to let the finish line come to you. If you're so worried about the finish line, you're going to kill yourself. Let the finish line come to you. Just take the next step. And that, for me, is something I am, I think, relearning, maybe learning in a deeper way right now, is I just need to keep taking those steps forward and, and trusting God for the finish. I don't think that someone who just like two weeks ago completed a hundred kilometer race gets to tell me <laughs> I run a lot. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I have uh, finished, <laughs> I've finished a hundred kilometer, but you've done how many, how many marathons you've done? 23? 23. Yes. That's sir. crazy. <laughs> that's, see, that's crazy. No, I just I, did a, a long one one day. You do it all the time. It's crazy. But uh, so many principles there for sure. Oh man, that'd be another great conversation. Before the final question, how can people stay in touch with you, follow you and, and keep in touch with everything that the Mighty Oaks Foundation is doing as well? Yeah. So two places. One is uh, the Mighty Oaks Foundation website, mightyoaksprograms.org, mightyoaksprograms.org. Uh, we have a pretty big social following. So if you put Mighty Oaks in Google, you'll find us. But the Mighty Oaks, uh, my, mightyoaksprograms.org. There you go. Um, and for me, uh, I have a, a personal website. It's just a collection of all my stuff. Uh, just my name, jeremystalnicker.com. It's uh, where I write. So my blog is there. Uh, a couple of the podcasts that I'm involved with are there. All my social stuff is there. Uh, my bio, you know, whatever. All my stuff is there. So if you're interested in that, jeremystalnicker.com. Um, also, there are links back to, to Mighty Oaks from there, of course. So yeah, mm -hmm. either of those. Awesome. If someone's listening to this right now and uh, maybe in a wide variety of circumstances or arenas, they, they feel the temptation of stagnation and they maybe feel a little bit hopeless just in that they've tried moving forward before and they've been disappointed, whether it's with their business, with their relationships, with something personally. What is the challenge or thought that you would give to that person? I tell them to go listen to your podcast on getting out of a <laughs> funk. That's what I would tell them to do because okay. that's what I did like three days ago. Um, you know, in that you talk about a jolt and you talk about changing things up. You've got to do something different. Uh, I, I love in that that you talk about uh, you feel sad, so you listen to sad music. That's never going to change your circumstance, right? 
And I think for those that are experiencing hopelessness, there's a reason for that. But so much of hopelessness is emotional. And you, you can't allow how you feel right now to determine where you're going. You sometimes have to push through how you feel right now and do the right thing. And the emotions will follow. Get up, do something different. Maybe you need to go outside. Maybe you need to change you know, your day, change your habit. Do something different. Give yourself a different perspective. Talk to positive people. This is crazy to me because people will say, um, I don't have access to positive people. I don't have access to coaches and mentors and counselors. You, you guys talk like, like they're everywhere. I don't have the money. Look, we have access to so much just through the internet. There are hundreds of podcasts you can listen to that will be encouraging, will be hopeful. Go out and find them. Find people who have been down the road a little bit further than you that you can sit down and talk to. Find someone older than you that can give you the right perspective. Uh, change what you're doing. Have that jolt that you talk about for sure. But I think just having your perspective changed or adjusted, acknowledging that it's real. I mean, this is, we all go through this. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken because you're experiencing some hopelessness right now. Um, but you don't need to stay there and you need to get around some people that can help you, help you move forward. What's the Bible verse? I, I'm going to get this wrong, but a word spoken in due season, how sweet it is or something like that. Mm. Um, there are people who can be, you know, the salve givers <laughs> to your weary soul. If you'll just allow them to speak into you, don't be ashamed of who you are, or what you're going through, find some people and, uh, and let them help you. For me, that's been, that's been huge. Mm. Well, Jeremy, thank you for your service. Thank oh, you for, sure. uh, for your message today. And golly, thank you for just the, the fact that you live your message too. It's just so inspiring. And I'm just grateful uh, to you for sharing your story. So thanks, man. Well, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, man, truly, you, you give so much hope and direction. And uh, it's been very, very encouraging to me to follow you, which is why I reached out and tried to connect with you, uh, you know, several months ago. And, and I appreciate you doing that, but I am constantly offering your podcast <laughs> to uh, other people because you're so clear, you're so concise, you're so full of hope and direction and uh, man, keep up the good work. It's awesome. Really that means awesome. a lot. Thanks, Jeremy. Well, I think that Jeremy is exemplary in so many arenas, but one of those arenas that stood out in this conversation to me was the way that he is a principle-based thinker, but also a principle-based practitioner, and that the principles that he's operating from are all grounded in biblical truth. And I think that is just such a solid and stable foundation through which we can lead in the complex, ever-changing, unpredictable realities of the world that we live in today. So Jeremy, thank you for your time. Thank you for your authenticity. Thank you for your perspective. And thanks to all of you for listening. One more thing real quick before we go. Uh, many of you know that I don't really like email at all. But if we're going to send one email as a team, we just say it better be worth it. It's got to be worth your time and worth your energy. And therefore, every week we send one email called Worth It Wednesday. And I write this email every single week. Uh, we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. If you want to receive this email that you can read in under five minutes, then you can sign up for it on the link that's in the show notes or by going to pathforgrowth.com. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.